Chapter 9 The trials we endure are supremely about Jesus. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Genesis 50, 20 When Abraham sacrificed Isaac, it was secondarily about an earthly father sacrificing his earthly son. Primarily, it foreshadowed God the Father sacrificing His Son. When Job saved his friends, it was secondarily about Job and his friends. Primarily, it foreshadowed Jesus saving His friends. Abraham and Job's trials were supremely about Jesus, and the same is true for us. Jesus' glorification is the primary end intended by the Lord. John 11, 3 and 4 records, Therefore, Lazarus's sisters went to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The second greatest example of evil God meant for good. Genesis 37 records Joseph being rejected by his brothers, thrown into a pit, and then captured by the Midianites. But verse 2 says, This is the history of Jacob. Why would a chapter about Joseph say it is about Jacob? Jesus came from Jacob instead of Joseph, which puts the focus on Jacob even though Joseph is discussed. The bigger picture in Genesis 37 is Joseph gets to Egypt. Twenty years later, his family moves to Egypt. Joseph's brothers have enough descendants to become the twelve tribes of Israel. Fast forward 1,500 years, and that nation produces a Savior. Everything Joseph experienced, every trial, was about Jesus. He is revealed with Joseph like he was revealed with Abraham and Job. Genesis 37, 12-14 Then Joseph's brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Jacob said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Joseph's father sent him to his brethren, like Jesus' father sent him to his brethren, the Jews. In Matthew 15:24, Jesus said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Genesis 37, 15-18 now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Notice the repetition of seeking. Joseph was seeking his lost brethren, revealing the heart of Christ in seeking his lost brethren. Luke 15.4 What man of you, having lost a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Luke 19.10 The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When Joseph came to his brothers, they would not accept him, and when Jesus came to his brethren, they would not accept him. John 1.11 says, 
he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Genesis 37, 19 and 20. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. It is hard to put into words the wickedness of Joseph's brothers plotting his death. But even these dark verses beautifully reveal Jesus. John 11.53 says, Then, from that day on, they plotted to put Jesus to death. Genesis 37, 21 and 22. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands, and bring him back to his father. Reuben was the oldest, which made him the de facto leader. He knew Joseph was innocent and should not be murdered, so he tried to deliver him out of his brother's hands. Pilate was the leader of the Jews. He knew Jesus was innocent and should not be murdered, so he tried to deliver him out of the Jews' hands. The Jews said, Let him be crucified! And Pilate said, Why, what evil has he done? Matthew 27, 22 and 23. Genesis 37, 23. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Joseph was stripped of his tunic, like Jesus was stripped of his. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. John 19.23 Genesis 37.24 And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. They threw Joseph into the pit to die. In the Old Testament, the pit is another name for the grave, so this pictures Christ's death and burial. Genesis 37.25 And they sat down to eat a meal. They threw Joseph into a pit to die while they sat down to eat. It is hard to believe they could treat anyone like this, much less their brother. But again, Christ is revealed. Their indifference toward Joseph resembles the indifference shown to Jesus when he was on the cross. The chief priests were mocking with the scribes and elders. Matthew 27, 41. Genesis 37, 25 through 28. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit. They did not want to murder Joseph because it would not make them money, so they lifted him out. Since he was in the pit to die, this figuratively pictures his resurrection from the dead. Jesus said, For you will not leave my soul in the pit, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Psalm 16.10 Compare with Acts 2.31 and 13.35. Genesis 37.28 And sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. Joseph was sold for the price of a slave, and so was Jesus. 
Exodus 21.32 identifies 30 pieces of silver as the value of a slave. And Matthew 26.15 says, Judas said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. Genesis 37.28 And they took Joseph to Egypt. Jesus was also taken to Egypt. Matthew 2.14 says, Joseph took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. The account appears tragic, but with the words of Genesis 37.28, we see the end intended by the Lord. Joseph is in Egypt, which will serve as the womb for Israel to grow into a nation. Later, Joseph was thrown into prison after being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. The cupbearer was released from prison, but he forgot he promised to help Joseph. Joseph was separated from his family for 20 years, not knowing who was alive or dead. While Joseph suffered, did he have any idea what God was doing? When he was in the pit or prison, he could not say, God wants me in Egypt so I can save the known world from starvation. Later, my descendants will produce the Messiah who will save the world from sin and death all while I can serve as a tremendous type of that Savior. Joseph's trials were made worse by his lack of knowledge. Like Abraham, Job, and us, Joseph was forced to walk by faith. He was blind to what God was doing until the end. But did God have an intended end? He most definitely did, and it was supremely about Jesus. The True and Greater Bread God Offers His People Joseph, like Asa, Abraham, and Job, is another example of God blessing after a trial is endured. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery when he was 17, and they did not see him again until he was 39. Joseph and his brothers were apart for 22 years. For Jesus and his brethren, the Jews, it has been over 2,000 years. While Joseph and his brothers were apart, several things took place. Joseph went from being the lowly, rejected brother to the revered ruler. Genesis 41.38 Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? The way Pharaoh spoke of Joseph looks forward to Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 4.1 Genesis 41.39-40 Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph was over everyone and everything except Pharaoh, like Jesus is over everyone and everything except God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15.27 says, The Father has put all things under Jesus' feet. But when the Father says, All things are put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. Genesis 41, verses 42 and 43. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, and he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was exalted by Pharaoh, and every knee was made to bow to him. God does the same for Jesus, Philippians 2, 9 and 10. 
When Joseph's brothers rejected him, they had no idea what would happen later. When the Jews rejected Jesus, they also had no idea of what was to come. The last will be first, Matthew 19, 30, 20, 16, and the humble will be exalted, Matthew 23, 12. Joseph is a good example of these verses, but the greatest fulfillment takes place with Christ. Genesis 41, 55. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The Egyptians began to starve, and Pharaoh directed them to Joseph. Although Joseph could say to the people, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. Isaiah 45.22 Only Jesus can say these words in the true and greater sense. Joseph gave the people physical life, but Jesus offers eternal life. Genesis 47, 13-19 There was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe. Joseph gathered up all the money in Egypt and Canaan for the grain. All the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die? Joseph said, Give your livestock, and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. They brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread. Thus he fed them with bread. They came to him the next year and said, There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Buy us and our land for bread, that we may live and not die. Bread is mentioned seven times, serving as the focus of the verses. Three times the people asked for bread so they would not die. Regardless of the amount of bread they ate, they still died some years later. In light of eternity, were their lives really lengthened? No, God is not primarily concerned with temporarily extending people's lives. He does not offer bread that adds a few more decades of life. There is a true and greater bread God gives His people. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. John 6, 35, 51. The years Joseph added to people's lives cannot compare to the eternal life Jesus provides. John 6.27-29 records, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Then they said to Him, What shall we do, that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Joseph gave the Egyptians bread in exchange for money, livestock, and even their bodies. They sacrificed everything they did labor for bread that perished. Jesus freely offers eternal life. He said the work of God is believing in the Son. The account with Joseph reveals one of the most important lessons to remember during trials. God is not primarily concerned about adding more years to our lives. If you do not understand this, then a trial that threatens your life or the life of a loved one cannot help but produce depression, bitterness, or unbelief. Although if you understand God desires to give you the bread from heaven, 
then even the end of your earthly lives can be faced with joy and thankfulness as you look forward to eternal life. The Greatest Act of Evil God Meant for Good Genesis 41.56 says, The famine was all over the face of the earth. Joseph was the savior of the known world in his day. He did not understand what God was doing during his trials, but he looked back later and understood the end intended by the Lord. When he reconciled with his brothers, he told them, Genesis 50.20 But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Joseph spoke the truth, but only Jesus can say these words in the true and greatest sense. The world meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to save many people. The worst act of evil did not take place against Joseph. It took place against Jesus. The greatest act God meant for good did not take place through Joseph, it took place through Jesus. Joseph accomplished much good, but how much greater was the good Jesus accomplished? God had an intended end in Joseph's suffering, but think of the greater end God intended through Jesus' suffering. Joseph saved many people physically, but how many more people has Jesus saved in the only way that truly matters, spiritually and eternally? What Joseph did, as great as it was, pales in comparison to what Jesus did. Whether Joseph understood it, everything that happened to him was only secondarily about him. Supremely, it was about Jesus. In the same way, whether we understand it, everything that happens to us is only secondarily about us. Supremely, it is about Jesus. Perhaps we will be able to look back as Joseph did and see the good God brought from our trials, if not on this side of heaven, then in the next life. Conclusion Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This verse was true in Abraham, Job, and Joseph's lives in a way we will never understand. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible but these men lived before he was born. They faced trials without Scripture at their disposal. They could not be encouraged by the heroes of the faith. Abraham and Joseph were busy being two of those heroes. Hebrews 11, 8-11, 17-19, and 22. We, on the other hand, have the entirety of God's Word available to us. Even if we do not understand what God is doing, we can walk by faith as we lean on these truths. A spiritual, eternal perspective allows trials to be viewed with joy. James 1, 2, 1 Peter 1, 6. Trials prove the genuineness of our faith. 1 Peter 1, 7. Trials produce patience, which produces maturity. James 1, 3 and 4. There is blessing for enduring trials, whether in this life or the next. James 1.12.5.11 There is an end intended by the Lord. He works all things together for good. James 5.11, Romans 8.28 God is still being very compassionate and merciful. James 5.11 Jesus, the bread from heaven, gives us eternal life. John 6.32.47 our suffering is not meaningless. God loves us. 
He is for us. He works in our best interests. When we become discouraged during trials, these are the truths we need to remember. Questions Number 1. How do the lives of Abraham and Joseph exalt Christ? Number 2. What other examples in Scripture can you think of individual suffering which brought forth good? Number 3. In what ways is Jesus the bread of life? Why did He use this title for Himself? Number 4. Which of the bulleted truths at the end of the chapter most encourage you? Why? Number 5. After coming to the end of enduring trials God's way, what other truths would you add to the bulleted list? Number 6. How do you view trials differently now than you did prior to reading this book? Number 7. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Break down this verse and lay out your trial. A. For our light affliction. Describe your trial. B. Which is but for a moment. Draw a timeline of eternity with your life indicated on it. Then identify the length of the trial. Consider the relationship of the trial to the length of your life and the length of eternity. C. Is working for us a far more exceeding. What is this trial accomplishing in your life on this side of heaven? D. And eternal weight of glory. How is this trial preparing you for eternity? Provide three verses discussing the rewards available in the next life.